without further ado, whatever that means, I don't know what ado is, but we're not going to have any more of it today. We're going to get right into the message. Um, Colossians, we're in Colossians. I know it's Father's Day, uh, but I am a honeybee, if you know what that means. And uh, we have to stay on schedule. The honeybees have to stay on schedule and do it. And so we're in Colossians 3, and, and the good news is what we're going to be reading about today is completely applicable to fathers. So it's good for you. If you're a dad, this is applicable to you. And uh, if you are a mom, this is applicable to you. If you have no children, this is applicable to you. It's, it's What I'm about to share with you is for you if you are a Christian, okay? Um, Paul wrote the letter of Colossians to the church in Colossae to Christians, okay? And so if you are not, if, you are, if you're in here today and you're not a Christian, I would highly encourage you to become one, uh, to, give, to, give, to surrender your life to Christ uh, because that is the, the purpose of your existence is, is Jesus. I mean, he, it's all about him. We're going to read about that. A little bit today at the end, but but life is really uh, about living for the glory of God. And and the the great news is, because uh, before you before you do give your give your life to Christ, surrender your life to Christ, you, you think that you're you're um, you're giving up everything that's good for what is right. I mean that's kind of the idea. Like most people, I say a lot of people really believe that. Living for God is the right thing to do. Living for Jesus is the right thing to do. But they just don't want to give up all the fun stuff to do it, you know. I don't want to have to give up all the fun I'm having now. And and what you and we've got testimony after testimony here, people that could say, I thought that. I, I used to think that way until I came to Christ. And, and now that I'm living for Christ, there is nothing better. There is nothing better than living for Jesus. There is no, there's no happier place or way you can live than to live for Jesus. And, and the problem is there's so many people out there who claim Christ and claim to be a Christian who look so miserable and are so hateful. And let me just tell you, those people are not following Jesus. They are following a religion. They are following uh, rules, things that they're supposed to do and not to do, but they're not following Christ because Jesus, following him, read about Paul and Peter and these people who were killed for following Jesus, and they talked about the joy that they had inside of them and their joy becoming full, even as they're in prison, even as they're being hated all around the world and, and seen as the enemy and, and mistreated and persecuted. They're saying, we are overwhelmed with joy. They left prison after being beaten with rods, stripes, bloody backs. They left and immediately went into prayer and they said, thank you so much for giving us the privilege of suffering for your name. That's joy. That's joy. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, uh, um, what's the right word? It wasn't troublesome is not the word. It, it wasn't miserable. Real pe people that follow Christ are not miserable. What makes people miserable is not following Christ. And what makes people the most miserable is saying I follow Christ and not following Christ. Ooh, that is miserable. That is miserable. So Paul is writing, so I want to, if you're not, 
If you've not given your heart to Christ, do that. That's why you're created. So I want to talk to you, those of you who are in here and have, you have put your faith in Christ, then, then there is a certain life that you are, that, that God desires for you to live, which is the, the good life. I mean, Joel Osteen said, your best life now, okay? He said that. He wrote the book, Your Best Life Now. And, 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 and I've never read the book, by the way, uh, so I'm not going to say, you know, it was good or it was bad. I'm not endorsing it. But, but your life now should be the best life. It really should be. God wants you to live your best life. But that best life is not that you get everything your flesh wants. <laughs> That's not what makes you happy. That's what makes people miserable is getting everything that they want. It really is. What makes, what makes people happy is following Jesus. And that's what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 9, start at verse 9. Um, he says, don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Jew, Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. That's what we're going to be talking about today, if I can just get to my notes. Anybody remember the date, January 3rd, 2007? Something significant happened on that day. January 3rd, 2007. That was a long time ago. Anybody? January 3rd, 2007. This is going to mean more to some of you than it does others. Um, Nick Saban landed in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> Boo, yay. That's right. All right. Either way, you love him, hate him, doesn't matter. The, the, the illustration still stands. Okay, all right. <laughs> so I'm not endorsing you know, a, a specific team. But I want, I want to say, when he, and I wanted to show the picture of that woman kissing him on the cheek and how miserable he looked when that woman was kissing him on the cheek. But welcome to Tuscaloosa, Nick Saban. He landed. So he gives this speech after he lands in Tuscaloosa. Of course, he was the, uh, Nick Saban, for those of you that don't know, uh, was at one time, the, he coached to several places, but he coached in the SEC at LSU. Won a national championship there. And then he left for the NFL and went to the Miami Dolphins. And after saying repeatedly, I guess I'll just have to say it, I'm not going to be the head coach at the University of Alabama, became the head coach of the University of Alabama and, and, and came to Tuscaloosa uh, January 3rd, 2007. And he got up on, on the, at the podium and he starts to talk about what his plans are and t talk about the process, if you know well, Coach, you know he talks a lot about the process. But you know what he didn't say? He didn't get up there and talk about LSU and how great LSU was and how awesome things were at LSU. He didn't get up and talk about Miami, where he was the coach of the Dolphins. He didn't go, you know, Miami's great. We're going to, I hope Miami. What did he get up there and talk about? Alabama and what, what's going what's gonna to happen to Alabama. You know why? Because he had changed teams. He had changed teams. Now, now, before, he was all about Miami, all about the Dolphins. He gave his all, gave everything he had. And before that, he was all about LSU. What he In fact, he wore LSU on his shirt. And then he wore the Dolphins on his shirt. But when he got to Alabama, he didn't walk up to the podium with an LSU shirt on or a Miami Dolphins shirt on. You know what he had on? Crimson and a gray. That's what he had on. You know why? Because it's Alabama. So here's where bringing that around to you and me, what Paul is talking about, because he's definitely not talking about Nick Saban. But what he is talking about, in a way, is changing teams. You have, when you become a Christian, you change teams. 
you change teams. You change sides. In chapter 1, it says that he has delivered you from the domain of darkness. Delivered you. In other words, you're taken out of that kingdom that, 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 that where you were a citizen and you lived like all the other citizens, the domain of darkness. And he has placed you in or trans, transferred you into the kingdom of his son. So you've changed teams. When you become a Christian, you change teams. Freddie Freeman, great baseball player, uh, played for the Braves. I don't know how long, but he was kind of the face for the Braves for so many years. You know what? He's not the face for the Braves anymore. Why? Plays for the Dodgers. He wears Dodgers shirts. Huh? He hits for the Dodgers. He never plays for the Atlanta Braves ever now. Like he, they never put him in. He never hits for them. He never, uh, you know, plays first base for them. You know why? He's changed teams. You, if you're a Christian, have changed teams. You, have cha- you are not the person you were before. You are a brand new person. In fact, biblically, what Paul says is that person died. That old person died. And, 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 and he says, since that old person has died, you need to think of that old person as dead. That's your job. God does the killing of you. He's the one that puts you to death. When you put your faith in him, and then uh, 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 when, you, when you trust Christ as your Savior, all right, you, you become a brand new person, and God does that, okay? And baptism, you think about baptism, the death of the old, the raising up of the new, a brand new identity. God does that. God does it in faith. God does it in baptism. You don't do any work at all in making yourself dead or making yourself alive. You don't take credit for any of that. But what you do need to do, what your part is, consider yourself dead. Consider yourself dead. When you get married, if you're in here and you're married, at your wedding ceremony, at your marriage, when you gave the vows, okay, you went from being two separate people to being one person. You didn't do that. God did that. Okay? God does it. You go from being two to being one when that happens. All right, God does it. But then from that moment on, what is your job? Knowing you're not single anymore, but now you're married and living that out. That's what Paul is talking about. You have put off the old, look at verse 9 again. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You have, if you're a Christian, you don't, Choose now to put off the old self. You don't choose now. Again, that, that verse that sometimes uh, talked about, I die daily. Okay, that's not really, dying daily is not, putting to death that old person is not what we do. That has already been done. Okay, God's already done that. Just like marriage, you don't wake up every morning and go, I'm getting married again today. No, 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 that's already been done. You were already one after your marriage. You're already, that, uh, that old person is already put to death. What do you do? I need to learn how to live like a married person. I need to learn how to live like Christ. So God already does that. But, but, but notice this, put to death the old self, okay? That, that old self has been put to death. But notice what it says, with its practices. You have already put off the old self. You already did away with that old person you used to be. With its practices, with its practices. In other words, there are some identity issues that are identified with your old self that when you became a Christian, you put away as well. 
okay? Just like there are practices as a single person that you put away when you get married. You have put that old person with, so there are practices that are identified with your identity, okay? Stay with me. There are practices that are identified with your identity, characteristics that are identified with your identity. Think about your, your if somebody wants to ID you, what do they, what, how, do, how does somebody ID you, identify you? What, what are some things people use? Your picture on your license. Your, your license is an ID. You know why your picture, your license is an ID? Because it's the only one like that in the world, hopefully. <laughs> Should be, legally. You know what I'm saying? That shows, that's, this, is a, this is different. This differentiates me from everybody else in the world. What's something else that people use? Fingerprints. Fingerprints. I don't know how God created that way. To me, as many people as there are in the world, you would think two people would have the same fingerprints. But apparently not. Or if they do, we've not found them yet, right? So your fingerprint identifies you. That is a characteristic that identifies you as who you are. It differentiates you from everybody else in the world. Now, here's what I'm saying. There are characteristics that differentiate you, your identity, from somebody else's identity. Same way when you're a Christian. There are certain identifiable characteristics of a Christian, and there are certain identifiable characteristics of a non-Christian. Okay? And, and so you and I should have the characteristics of a Christian. Why? So that people would know. So that people can know. So that we can, so that we can glorify God. All right. Now, let, let me say this. Don't expect non-Christians to have the characteristics of Christians. Because they're not Christians. Think about that when you boycott certain businesses. Think about that. I'm just saying, I'm not saying you should support everybody that supports everything you disagree with. I'm not saying that. But I am saying we need to know that somebody that's not a Christian is not a Christian, and they're going to behave like a non-Christian. Like, it's not shocking. (laughs) They're not, hey, those of us who are Christians know it's hard to live as a Christian. And and sometimes we don't. (laughs) Sometimes we don't, all right? But, but so, so here's the, be hard on yourself for not living like a Christian uh, w- more so than you are for that non-Christian who, who's not living like a Christian, all right? If we got our act straight, then, then things would be a whole lot different. It's not that we won't, don't expect non-Christians to be fake. You be real. You be real, which is what we're talking about today. You be you. You be you. If you're a Christian in here, what Paul is saying is you be a Christian. You be a Christian. You live like Christ. All right? You have put off the old self with its practices. You didn't just put off the old self with its condemnation. That's what we want. That's what we want. We want to put off the old self with its condemnation, with its... um, uh, you know, with the consequences for my sin. We want to get all that stuff. I want to be forgiven. I don't want to go to hell. But, again, it's not, it's not a choice of I want to get rid of the condemnation, but I, I want to keep the practices. I want to keep living like a non-Christian, but I, want to, I don't want to burn for eternity. You know what I'm saying? So, so you, you put away the old self with its practices. Now, here's the thing. If you don't, 
there's probably not one person in this room that became a Christian because somebody held a gun to your head and said, become a Christian or die. Now, that happens, by the way. That has happened in the past, and that's not the way Jesus said to convert people. It's not the way Jesus converted people, but that has happened. But I dare to say nobody in here became a Christian because somebody forced you to become a Christian. Now, you may have felt felt pressured or that kind of thing. That's, that's all. But I'm saying nobody forced you. So when you became a Christian, you did so by your own free will. You chose to. Just like when you got married, unless it's a shotgun wedding, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand. <laughs> but if it's not a shotgun wedding, I'm just saying you chose, and even after, I mean, listen, you chose to marry the person you married. You chose that. We don't have arranged marriages here in the United States that I know of, that mainly. I don't know anybody in my, that, that, that I know that got married because of, it was arranged and they were forced. You all chose to marry that person. So it's nobody else's fault but yours. But you made that decision to do it. You need to live, you need to live it out with that person you're married to. You need to live it out. You chose them. Same thing with Jesus. Nobody was forced, nobody forced you to give your life to Jesus. You chose to do that. And if you chose to do that, you need to live like Christ. You chose to do it. It's not, it's not somebody else's fault. Just live like what you chose to, to, to be. Have those identifying marks. It's time for some new characteristics in your life. Verse 10. You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on, this is what we're going to be talking about today. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You have put on the new self already. Like it's not something you do. You don't put on the new self. In other words, you don't die anymore to, to that, who you, that old identity because that already happened. And you don't make a new identity every day because you're already that. So the Christian life, and this is in your, in your bulletin, the Christian life is not about trying to become someone you're not. And, and a lot of people, that's not the fill in the blank, by the way. <laughs> the, the Christian life is not about trying to become somebody you're not. Let me say that again. Christianity is not about working at being somebody you're not. Christianity is learning to be who you are. Let me say it again. Christianity is learning to be who you already are. I'll say it one more time. Christianity is about learning to be who you already are. Same with marriage. You get married and you're like, oh my goodness, what, in the, what happened to this person? <laughs> marriage is about learning to live out the person that, that you, that, that your married person, living that out. Same way with Christianity. How do I live it out? Okay. Well, he tells us how we live it out in verse 10. You have put on, he says, you have put on the new self. That new self is just a Christian. You put on Christ. You put on the new self, which is being renewed, a new identity, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What Paul is talking about is how we mature as a Christian here. And he says we mature by being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. This new identity we have is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. That word renewed means being made new, just like it sounds. Being made new. Being made new. Constantly being made new in what? Knowledge. Knowledge. Now, here, here's what Paul is saying. 
the way you change as a Christian. Remember in chapter 2 we talked about Paul's like, these are the ways you don't. This is not what you go for as a Christian. You don't go for, for legalism. You don't try to, you know, uh, worship angels. You don't try to uh, be as miserable as you can be. That's not the path to maturity in Christ. The path to maturity in Christ is exactly what he says in verse 10. Being renewed in knowledge after the image of your creator. What does that mean? What is that knowledge? That knowledge is the Greek word epignosis. Gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. And epi means kind of like touching on or according to. All right. And so what he's saying is there, it's a personal relationship knowledge. It's a knowledge that you get from firsthand experience. A knowledge that you get hand. I put that in your bulletin too, I think. A knowledge that you get from firsthand experience. So I want you to think of, yeah, there you go. Knowledge gained through firsthand experience. That, this is what that means. That means the way you mature and grow as a Christian is not by um, somebody else's experience with Jesus. Okay? That's not firsthand knowledge. Secondhand knowledge, which is great. Secondhand knowledge is good, but that's not how you grow as a Christian. Firsthand knowledge or secondhand knowledge can make you desire firsthand knowledge. Let me say it again. Somebody else's testimony of what Jesus has done in their life can make you want firsthand knowledge. I want that for me. It can encourage you. It can make you, it can make you uh, encouraged or happier. Okay, we can celebrate when God does something in everybody else's life. But, but secondhand knowledge will not, the, will not defeat the devil in your life. Let me say it again. Secondhand knowledge of Jesus will not defeat the devil in your life. First-hand knowledge will. Let, let, let me say it like this. So, my dad, who was a great man, I've already talked about that it's enough. I think I've earned my $100 that he gave me to say all that by now. I'm just kidding. Now, my dad, my dad, a great man. But here, here's the thing. Uh, my dad's experience with Jesus has been a good example for me. I've learned a lot. But my dad's experience, experience with Jesus did not make me a Christian and did not make me grow as a Christian. It was secondhand knowledge. It was a great example, but it did not remove the devil from my life and remove me from following the devil. <laughs> I mean, following sin. It didn't, it didn't do it. It did not defeat evil in my life. Okay? Um, um, my, your, grand, your grandparents may have been amazing Christians, but their testimony of, of what Jesus did for them does not, does not make you grow as a Christian and it does not defeat the devil in your life. Only first-hand relationship knowledge will do that, which is this. You walking your life out with Jesus, seeking him out, finding out who he is, what he said, and then rearranging your life accordingly. That's what helps you grow as a Christian. Secondhand knowledge can help you do that and encourage you to do that, but it doesn't do that. There's no, there's no replacement or, or um, oh, what's the right word? There's, um, thank you. That's exactly the word I was looking for, substitute. There's no substitute for firsthand knowledge. When we, when we, base our Christian life on somebody else's experience with God or with Jesus. We, we, we base our life on hearsay. Okay? Hearsay. 
And, and that's, not, that's not the way you mature in Christ. Hearsay does not, does not give, give you victory. <laughs> um, here's the deal. For your testimony, and this is in your notes, for your testimony to have power, it has to be your testimony. For a testimony to be powerful, it must be personal. For a testimony to be powerful, it must be personal. Now, here's the power of a testimony. Testimony is what Jesus has done in your life personally. Okay, what is God, what, what is my personal experience with Jesus? I'm working the camera people today. Thank you, Jacob, for following me. Um, what is my firsthand experience with Jesus? That is what is a powerful testimony. Me sharing about the good things that God has done in my dad is not a powerful testimony. To show you how powerful a testimony is in Revelation 12, 11, it says that Christians overcame the enemy. This is in your notes. Christians overcame the devil, okay, Satan. Can you bring that verse, Revelation 20, uh, 12, 11, I'm sorry. They conquered him, the enemy, the, the, the one that's trying to destroy you. By the blood of the lamb, number one, okay, the blood of the lamb, and secondly, by the word of their testimony, the word of their testimony. The, the word, what is it? What, this is what Jesus has done in me. This is what Jesus has done for me. That is how they conquered Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, not the word of somebody else's testimony. It wasn't the testimony of John or John the Baptist or Matthew or Luke or Paul that, that, that caused them to conquer the enemy. It was the testimony of what Jesus had done in them personally. Because here's the thing. At some point, if Jesus has not done anything in your life, doubt rises up. Because I don't know for sure. You ever doubted somebody's firsthand experience? Anybody ever told you that they saw something and you're like, Bigfoot. <laughs> I'm the kind of person that, I, I, that I, I need to see it for myself. I really am. I need to see it for myself. Now, I, there are people that I trust. No? <laughs> What's well, I trust no one. Okay, carry on. I trust no one. I mean, it depends on what it's about. But ultimately, I want to see it for myself. That, you need to see Jesus for yourself. Try him out. Just see. See if what he says do in, in the right way to live. See if when you follow him, if it doesn't change some things. See if, his, see if he really is the way, the truth, and the life. But you don't find that out by just reading that verse and claiming it for you. You read it, you, I mean, you live that out by living that out. Okay, if he's the way, then I'm going to follow him. And following him makes the difference. It defeats the devil in your life. It changes you. It, it causes you to live out that new identity. Your new identity is your, uh, uh, creates the opportunity for a new testimony. But it's got to be you. So anyway, all right. It's got to be personal. Can't be somebody else's. In Acts chapter 19, there's an interesting story about these seven sons of Sceva. Seven sons of Sceva who went around, and they were people who went around, Jewish people, and they would cast out demons. That would, 
If you, you know, you remember the movie Ghostbusters? It's probably sacrilegious to say that in church. But anyway, I know none of us have ever seen it, but you've heard of the movie. Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Seven sons of Sceva is who you call. <laughs> if there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? Seven sons of Sceva. <laughs> so seven, there, there's this disturbance, this demon-possessed woman or, or person, demon, I'm sorry, demon-possessed person, and the seven sons of Sceva are, are, are called in, and, and, and they, they try to cast this demon out, and they say, we cast you out, by the Jesus who Paul preaches. See that? The Jesus that Paul, because here's what they've heard. Dude, there is power in the name of Jesus. All right, yeah, there is power in the name. Well, they've heard that. There's power in the name. They believed that. <clears throat> There's power in the name of Jesus. So they get around here, and they're like, we cast you out in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And the demon said... We know who Paul is. We know who Jesus is. We do not know who you are. And, and, and that demon, it tore them up, ripped their clothes off. They ran away naked because the demon tore them up. The, the man tore them up. The demon inside them tore them up so bad. Here, here, what am I saying? In order for a testimony to be powerful, it has to be personal. It has to be you living it out yourself. You all, because if it's not, at some point it's going to be, it's not going to be enough. It will not defeat the devil unless it's personal. And so I don't care how much of a Christian your grandparents were or how much of a Christian your parents were or your best friend or your brother or your sister or your preacher. You need to follow Jesus for yourself. You cannot defeat the devil through what I preach or through a Sunday school class. Or through whatever somebody teaches you, you've got to have firsthand experience with Jesus. Learning to walk through life day in and day out, one day at a time, seeking Him, trusting Him, submitting to Him, following Jesus. You are being renewed into, look what it says, according to the image of your Creator. According to the image of your creator. That's the target, okay? So Jesus is the target of who we're trying to become. That's who we want to be like is, is Jesus, okay? So that's our aim. The way we do that is we find out who Jesus is and what Jesus is like, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we live that out, okay? According to the image of its creator. So, so, so in your walking out, your identification, what the, the fingerprints of you as a new creation, new identity, should look like who? Jesus. Just like Freddie Freeman wears a Dodgers outfit. Why? He, he, is, he is a Dodger. He's, he is a Dodger, and he's trying to live life out as a Dodger. Okay? You should try to live, you, you try to live life as a Christian. Walk it out with him. Try to be more like Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, back to verse 10. <clears throat> we ha we ha you have put off 
then uh, I'm sorry, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed, constantly being made new as you learn more about Jesus and follow Jesus after the image of its creator. Then in verse 11, he says this, and we're going to close with this verse. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What in the world is Paul trying to say there? Here's what I thought Paul was saying. I thought Paul was saying, hey, we've created all these divisions where I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm a Greek, well, I'm a Jew, and we've divided ourselves up, and, and that's not what, it's like to, what it should be like in the church. So I was going, actually going to preach, preach about that today, about racism, and hey, there's no black church and white church, there's the church. You know what I'm saying? When, Paul, when they wrote letters to, to the different cities, they didn't write to the Colossian church and the Philippian church and the Ephesian church. They wrote to the church in Colossae. There's a difference. The church in Philippi, the church in Corinth. Here's what that means. There's one church. There's one church. They're all the same, whether they're in Corinth or Colossae, but, but they might be in different places, but it's still one church. There's not a division. The church is one. Why? Because we are the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is one. So I was going to talk about how bad it is to be denomination. You know, I'm a Baptist. I'm not that it's bad to be Baptist or Methodist, just that that's not what divides us. Don't be divided, black, white, Methodist, whatever it may be. That's what I was going to preach. And this morning it hit me. The Lord was like, that's not what I'm trying to say there. Because that doesn't fit in with what Paul's saying. Paul is talking about quit living like you were the old man. Everybody uh, forgets what he was saying there. If ever, ever, you see me with white stuff building up in the corner of my mouth, and you don't tell me you're not my friend, because nobody hears what somebody's saying when that happens. Don't let that. Don't be that non-friend of mine, okay? Be the friend that goes, whoa, whoa, pastor. <laughs> you got to take care of yourself. All right. Paul, bringing it back in. Paul is not talking about divisions in the church here. Now, he does talk about that in Corinth. He does talk about divisions. He's not talking about divisions in the church here. He's talking about living out, following Christ, okay, and putting away the practices that are identification or characteristics of your old self that is dead. He's talking about living out the new life that is in Christ. So what does it have to do? What is Greek and Jew and barbarian? Here, here's what I think Paul is saying. I think he's saying, because he's talking about putting away the old and, and, and living the new. I think he's talking about those of us that use our ethnicity as an excuse for our sin. Well, I'm Irish. You'll have to forgive me for blowing up. I'm Irish. You know? Or Italian. Sorry, I'm Italian. You know how Italians are, you know? That was my Italian. <clears throat> that was terrible. I was halfway. If you're going to commit, commit. If not, yeah, thank you, Tommy. Thank you. That's it, Tommy. <laughs> yeah. Right. We've got a room full of people that can do it, but I couldn't do it. But you get what I'm saying? Well, you have to forgive me. How about this? You have to forgive me. I'm a lonus. I'm a lonus. You know how lonuses are. Oh, yeah, we know how lonuses are. 
right? He's talking about, I think he's talking about people that you, oh, I'm a, I'm a Jew. What does that have to do with it? All right. Yeah, you know how Jews are. We're, you know, uh, I'm a Greek. You know how Greeks are? Prof, huh? Yeah. <laughs> a Cuban. I don't know how Cubans are, but whatever, AJ. Your ethnicity does not give you the right to not live like the person who you are. Your ethnicity does not give you the right to continue the practices of the person that's dead, the identity that's dead. Well, I have an anger problem. I just have an anger because it's my... No, 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 no. You're not that person anymore. According to the Bible, according to Jesus, according to Paul, you're not that... I'm sorry. Your last name may be Lonis, but that does not mean you have to be an alcoholic. If you're in Christ, you're new. You're new. And look what he ends it with. Christ is all. No, you're Christ now. If you're in Christ, you're Christ. And Christ is in all. What does that mean? And Jesus lives inside of you. So I don't have the excuse of going, well, it's just in my genes. Okay, it might be in your genes, but that person died. That person that was led by their genes died. And you are a new person, and that's not the person you are anymore. And the person you are now is being renewed to look like Jesus and to live like Jesus and to be like Jesus. In other words, if you are prideful, which I I think the Jews were a prideful people, especially against the Gentiles, prideful or pagan, or religious, okay? You're prideful because you're, or irreligious or unreligious. Well, I'm just not like that. I've never been a religious guy. I've never, oh, that doesn't give you the excuse not to live like Jesus, okay? If you are a redneck, I use that for the barbarians because the barbarian, it said, barbarians were just seen as rednecks. <laughs> Not the, not the sharpest, you know, tool in the shed kind of people. Simple, simple, down to earth, Alabamians. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Barbarians, not the smartest people. Well, I'm sorry, I'm just not that smart. I'm a, okay, that doesn't give you the excuse to not to live like Jesus. Scythian, Scythian, I had to look that up. I'm like, I've never even heard of Scythia. Anybody ever vacationed in Scythia? All right, Scythia, bless you. Scythia is, is, was, they were wild, extremely wild people. Extremely wild people. Okay? Which again points back to the fact that Paul is not talking about there being no divisions in the church because he's not saying, hey, there's some people that live really wild, you know, party hard, whatever, and they're just as much the church. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying just because you used to be a hellion, or heathen, or a hoodlum, does not give you the excuse not to live for Jesus now. Because you're not Scythian anymore. That's not your identity anymore. It also does not mean you can't be Jewish and live for Jesus. You can. You cannot eat pork and live for Jesus. That's not what it, it's not talking about. Because later it talks about male and female. It's not talking about we no longer have these differences in culture. It's just our identity is Christ now. 
And because our identity is Christ and Christ lives in us, we can be renewed constantly after the image of our creator. And that's our only way that we're, we, we do that. So again, bringing it all together, Paul is talking about maturing in Christ. You're a Christian, live it out. How do I live it out? I learn who Jesus is and what Jesus said and what Jesus taught and what Jesus wanted more and more and more, and I arrange my life to look like that. That means I love my enemy. I pray for those that persecute me. All those things that Jesus said do, I live out, which gives me the firsthand experience, which becomes my testimony, <laughs> that will then defeat the devil in my life, that firsthand testimony of Jesus. I was talking to somebody this week, and I'm going to close with this. In Christ, there are no excuses, by the way, is the last fill in the blank if you want. There are no excuses. I was talking to somebody this week, and they were, they were dealing with doubts, just doubts. This person's a Christian, by the way, strong Christian. But they were just talking about doubts that they were having. I just, I, he said, I just got kind of overwhelmed with doubt here lately. And, uh, and he started struggling and started, you know, kind of experiencing some depression. And, and, he said, and he said, then I thought, I know Jesus is real. <laughs> I know Jesus is real. I, like, he's talked to me. <laughs> he, has, he has done miracles in my life. He has done things that I couldn't have done and nobody ever could do. He has proved himself to me in my life. And that was the starting point of moving on to, okay, what's going on then? When those doubts come in and you don't have that personal relationship with you. Now, here's how the personal relationship happens. You submit him. You seek him. That's how the personal relationship happens. It's not just up to him to do it all. It's developed in relationship with Jesus day after day after day. But you start living that out. You start living that out. And you, you're already a new person. Let me emphasize that again, you're already new, already new, but you start living that out, and you will grow, and you will mature, and, and you will see victories in your life spiritually. Change. Your life will change. Your life will change. I'm not saying everything's going to go great for you. I'm saying when everything falls apart, you're going to be okay on the inside. The same God that was still amazing when his son was dead on the cross. That same God is the God when you go through your valleys. Same good God. Let his son die on the cross. Send his son to die on the cross. But he knew there was going to be a resurrection. I'm just saying, cling to that in your own life. Believe him. Trust him. Follow him. Live your life for the glory of God by living your life by the power of Jesus and, and, and doing everything you can to look like Jesus. Amen? That's for fathers and mothers, non-fathers, non-mothers, everybody. And quit making excuses for your language, for your attitude, for your emotions, 
and for your behavior and consider that stuff dead. You have died that old self with its practices is dead. Father, let that be in us. We need it. I'm desperate for it. I can't do it on my own. I fail miserably. Lord, I pray by your spirit you would give the power to believe. In this room, the power to believe you, the power to trust you, the power to to surrender fully, the power to live out the commitment that we made when we surrendered fully to you. Lord, I pray, God, that you would, the next time we, 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 we are tempted to follow our flesh, that you would remind us of this and we would say, you know what, that's dead. That person is dead. That's not who I am and that's not who I want to be. Remind us of that and by your spirit, bring victory over the enemy. Lord, I pray that you would reveal Jesus to us that in new ways that you would let us know who Jesus is, what Jesus said, that we would see it fresh and that we, as we walk that out, we would experience newness of life. Lord, you want us to live. Jesus, you said, I have come so that they may have life and have it more abundant. Let that be. I pray that the people in this room and the people who are watching uh, online, Lord, that we would be people who know from firsthand experience what abundant life looks like because we know the one who's given us life after the image of our creator. Let it be, God. And let us be not people of excuses. Help us to live for your glory in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody that agrees with that, say amen, which means I agree with that. Francisco, you got something?